0: Lord, we do pray that tonight. We pray for your spirit to be at work transforming us even in these moments as we listen to your word. Would you change our hearts? Would you mold them into the image of your son? Lord, I I speak from my own experience, my own life. That is my deepest desire, Lord, to be like you, Jesus. Pray that would be all our goal. We'd be reminded that that is our calling. Whatever individual call, whatever different life paths we have, whatever different goals we have, Lord, they are all shaped by you, but in your word you say that we are called to be sanctified. We are called to be made holy. And so at the, the very center, at the heartbeat of Christianity, is the act of transformation. It's the act of regeneration, the Lord renewing our heart, giving us life again so that we might live out the life of Christ in our own walk, in our own ways, in the ways that you've called us to. So, Lord, I pray for each one of us tonight, would we be shaped again into your image, shaped again by your spirit to be conformed to who Christ is. That in Christ we can share in his afflictions and he shares in ours. We can share in his joy and he can share in ours. Lord, thank you for binding us to your son. That in him we might experience the very presence of God in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we long to hear from you tonight. Shape us tonight as we hear you. We pray in Jesus' name and by your spirit's power. Amen. Amen. So we continue our way through Genesis. We're now in Genesis 26. So again, we're just starting this cycle of the stories of Jacob. And uh, really, this is kind of an interlude. It's it's interesting because sometimes you see these little interlude stories. Uh, in the sections like the story for example the one that most people know the best interlude in Genesis is Judah and Tamar the story the, the story of Joseph has just started the, and then all all of a sudden you get this odd story about Judah and Tamar and this kind of strange uh, You know family tie that results in the birth of, of children It's just kind of an odd interlude Well, this is kind of that moment in the the Jacob cycle where you have In the middle of it, we hear really for the only time we hear about the the life of Isaac and who Jacob and Esau's father was and what type of man. Isaac is really almost this skipped generation. We hear all these stories about Abraham, and then we hear all these stories about Jacob, and there's just a little blip about Isaac and who he is, this patriarch, this mystery. And Genesis 26 is that chapter. We know a little bit about Isaac as it relates to the Akedah, the binding, right? We talked about in Genesis 22, where his father is called to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Uh, and then, of course, the Lord provides, and he's not sacrificed. But other than that, this is the only picture we have of Isaac, this picture. So this chapter uh, is, we'll go almost to the end of the chapter. There's a few verses we'll save for next week. This is Genesis 26, verses 1 to 33. And I named the sermon like his father before him. Like his father before him. The point of this chapter is to let you know Isaac is a man like his dad. He's a man like Abraham. And I think you'll catch it right off as we read the stories. It's kind of little, again, little scenes of Isaac. I think you'll catch it right off because these stories will have become very familiar to you as we've walked through this series. You're going to see pieces you've seen before. Okay, Genesis 26, this is verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. So this is something that Abraham has also done in chapter 21. He went to the land of the Philistines, and he's sojourning there. This is Isaac now. And the Lord appeared to him, to Isaac, and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Now this verse sounds familiar because it sounds like Genesis 12 this command of God about where to go where not to go and of course Abraham did go to Egypt didn't he all the way back in chapter 12 he had a famine happen and his first thought was well I'll go to where the food is and that's Egypt the great nation the great empire of the of the day right this great civilization and he'll go there to get food that's where Abraham went But Isaac is told, do not go down to Egypt. Why? Well, probably because it's his first inclination, just like his father's. Go to Egypt. And the Lord says, no, don't go. Stay here. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. That's the oath that he swore for the obedience of almost sacrificing Isaac. That's the oath. Remember, we saw three different pieces related to different parts of the land, the seed, and the blessing. We saw two covenants. In chapter 15, we saw the covenant of the land. In chapter 17, we saw the covenant of the seed. But remember, in chapter 22, there is no covenant of the blessing. But the Lord swears an oath to Abraham. And this is the oath he speaks of here. The oath of blessing that I promised to your father, I will give to you, Isaac. But don't go down to Egypt. Stay here in this land. I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. He stayed there. He was obedient to what the Lord said. He doesn't go down to Egypt. He stays in the land of Gerar. But if you remember when Abraham went to Egypt, what was the first thing that happened? It was the harem story. It was the story of Sarah being taken into the harem. We're going to see something similar here. So when he was in Gerar, the men of the place asked about Isaac's wife. He said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. Now it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech king of the philistines looked out through a window and saw and behold isaac was caressing his wife rebecca this is a play on words here they translated the idiom for you but what it actually says in the hebrew is that isaac was laughing with rebecca it's euphemistic they're having some kind of sexual intimacy that's the point Right, so they use a play on his name. The laughing one was laughing with his wife, and so immediately Abimelech knows that this is not his sister. Right, he, he he sees their intimacy, and he instantly knows that they're not brother and sister. So he calls Isaac to him and said, "Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister?" And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Again, despite the oddness of this account, despite the oddness of the scenario that we saw twice in Abraham's life, and Isaac, like his father before him, doing the same thing. The Lord blesses him. He protects him. He keeps him safe from death. And he keeps him safe from the power of of the, these foreign governments, these foreign kings that truly have the power to harm him. Well, in its own strange way the situation works out where the Lord protects him and Abimelech charges the people don't touch this man or his wife or you'll be put to death so Isaac sowed in that land he stayed there after that and he sowed in the land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold now if you know the New Testament right there's the story of the sower it talks about sowing seed and, and there's all these different references to sowing and reaping and having a harvest. And it says in the New Testament that they, the one in the good soil would reap, it says, 30, 60, or a hundredfold, I believe. I think it's 30, 60, or 100 hundredfold. A hundredfold is, is basically the best you can expect. It's the best return on a yield you could get. That's the idea of a hundredfold. What you sowed, it came back a hundred times. What you planted came back a hundred times. What's the point? Isaac is being blessed. He's not the greatest farmer the world has ever seen. That's not the point. The point is the Lord is with him to give him the blessing of the land. He's receiving the best you could expect to receive. A hundredfold return on his, his sowing. And it says the very next line, The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich. Isaac became rich, and he continued to grow richer until he had become very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now, this is an interesting thing because we need to think through, at least for a moment, what this story sounds like. And this is kind of odd because you don't typically think about it. Remember the last story we talked about was the death of Abraham. Uh, Sorry, well, it's Jacob and Esau, but in the earlier part of chapter 25 was the death of Abraham. And what happened when Abraham died? Well, he gave his inheritance to his son. All that he had was left to who? To Isaac. This story is odd for multiple reasons. We've already seen two things that should strike us as odd in terms of its placement in the story. One, we just heard the story just prior to this of Jacob and Esau, their birth, and how tumultuous that was, of their warring against each other, and and of course the stealing, or the selling, I should say, the, the despising of Esau's birthright. So two things. One, how... How is it possible that the men of the Philistines didn't know that Rebekah and Isaac were married if they had two twin boys following them everywhere? That's odd. Two, this account makes it sound like Isaac is not very wealthy, and the Lord blessed him and he became wealthy. Well, one of the defining things we know about Abraham is that he was immensely rich. And if he has just died and left all that he had to Isaac, how is it that the account portrays him as not very wealthy and then he becomes wealthy, when clearly whatever was left from Abraham made him rich beyond measure? Well, one of the things that we can kind of surmise from this account is that even though it's placed later in the story, this is probably an account about Isaac's life prior to it's, it's possible prior to the birth of the, of the twins, right? Remember, how long did they have to wait? How long did Isaac pray for his wife? We said it was 20 years before the birth of the boys. So even though this story is set later in terms of the order in which we read Genesis, it's most likely that this is referring back in time chronologically. This is prior to the birth of the boys. Because this is about Isaac's life. What he did in the time in between this this prayer, he prayed for these boys. It seems unlikely that they wouldn't understand the marriage if they had children with them. And it seems unlikely that he would not already be immensely rich if Abraham had not already passed what he had. So it's, it's, the timing is hard to tell. Timing's hard to know. But, uh, these are stories of Isaac's life, probably prior, prior to the birth of his children. Are you taking questions now, or do you want to wait till the end? Now, let's wait till the end. Mm-hmm. Try and remember it. Um, but before we go on, this next account, the the last piece of this story of Isaac, is about a well. And earlier in in this series, when I did Genesis twenty one, remember this was the story of uh, Ishmael being laid beneath the bush, right? To being laid down to die and Hagar walking away from him. There was actually an account at the end of that chapter, at the end of 21, about Abraham in a well. And I skipped it because I wanted to focus on Ishmael and Hagar and the power of that story that God heard the boy and and that, that heard him who was laid down to die. And how significant that was. And so I skipped over this story. Well, it just so happens that Genesis 26 is the perfect chance to revisit that story. And uh, I've made it through Genesis so far, having read every word in Genesis to you. And I'd be remiss if I did not take the opportunity to go back and preach the only words I've missed. And get to go back through 21 and explain it to you before we go to the end of 26. And so by the end of this series, then I can still say that I've, I've preached every word of Genesis to you. But we'll go back to 21 and look, because this is going to inform the story we're just about to read. This is the end of chapter 21 now, verse 22. Now it came about at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the kindness that I have shown to you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. Abraham said, I swear it. Now, what has just happened in Genesis in this section we're reading here is the same thing that happened to Isaac. Sarah was taken into Abimelech's harem. And then, remember, Abimelech has this dream, and the Lord says, I am the one who kept you from sinning to touch this man's wife. Don't touch her, or you shall surely die. You're a dead man, he says. But have Abraham pray for you, and you will be restored. Remember, that's the story that's just taken place. And so after, immediately after that story, when you get back to the story of Abraham, you have... A well scene, this, this thing that's about to happen, this swearing at a well. And of course, the Isaac story is following the same pattern. He has this interaction with Abimelech, where there's uh, this wife is, he calls my sister, but it's, it's, you know, it's actually its wife. And then they go to a well scene. It's following the same pattern as Abraham. And the narrator is explaining that Isaac is a man like his father, his father before him. Right. So here's what happens next with Abraham. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well of water which the servants of Abimelech had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor did I hear of it until today. Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. Then Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Abimelech said to Abraham, What do these seven ewe lambs mean, which you have set by themselves? He said, You shall take these seven ewe lambs from me, from my hand, so that it may be a witness to me that I dug this well. They make a covenant at this well. And therefore, he called that place Sheva because there the two of them took an oath. Now here's what's interesting. The word for seven in Hebrew is Sheva. Sheva. That gets translated into English with the B, because the B and B sound are very similar. So it becomes Beersheba in English, but it's the name of the place is Beersheba, the well of seven. What's interesting is that the word for oath is also related to the same root in Hebrew. It's shavah. So they say the reason this place is called Beersheva is because they took an oath. They shavahed there. But here it says we have Sheva, We have seven u So the idea of of swearing or making an oath is related integrally to the concept of this number seven. So we don't exactly know whether this Beersheba is relating to swearing or seven, but the account ties them together, both seven, the concept of the number seven, and how significant a number that is biblically, of course, with the idea of swearing oaths. Abraham specifically takes seven to swear an oath. So it's called Beersheba. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. So he made he planted a tree and he worshipped. That's the idea of calling on the name of the Lord. He probably offered a sacrifice and he worshipped there. That's calling on the name of the Lord. So this is a significant place that Abraham has set up, this well. The well of seven, or the well of swearing. Okay, now back to Isaac. Back to Isaac. This is verse 15 of chapter 26. Now all the wells, the wells we were just reading about in chapter 21, which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. So Isaac's been Isaac and Abraham have been out of the area long enough that they were able to ruin these wells, to cover them again with earth. So Abimelech said to Isaac, remember, Isaac's very rich. He's getting wealthy. And they just had this incident with Rebekah. So Abimelech said to Isaac, You're go away from us. You're too powerful. He's getting too rich. They don't want him in their land anymore. They want him to leave and go far from them. You have too many herds, too many sheep, too many oxen. You are just too powerful. Leave us be. So Isaac, he departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. He's he's reclaiming what his father had. These were Abraham's wells that he dug. And he's restoring them to what they once were. But... When Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar, the people of the land, the shepherds that were already out there, they quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, This water is ours. It's our land. So he named the well Essek because they contended with him. He named it contention because they contended with him. So they dug another well. And they quarreled over that one too. So he named it Sitna, quarrel, quarrel. So he moved away from that well and again dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rahabot, For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruitful in this land. Rahabot means open spaces. His point is there's space for us, Finally. There's a place for us. It's it's a broad space where we can live finally and be fruitful. So what did he do? He went up from there, the well, Rehobot, to Beersheba. So he's at Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, Isaac, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor Ahuzah, and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Versus who? Well, versus Abraham, of course. So what did Isaac do? Did he say, get the heck out of here? You guys have done nothing for me. How dare you say you've been good to me? You sent me away. No, he says, nothing. He makes them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths, and then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug, and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Shiva. It looks like Sheba, spelled different, but it's the same word, or at least the same root, Shiva. So therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. It's just like this day. Okay, that's it, that's our story. It kind of just seems like a slice of life story. It's kind of these little situations, situations we've seen before. What do we pull from it? What do we take from that story? Well, I think it's significant as it relates to several things. As it relates to the overarching story of the Bible, and specifically as we're going through Genesis, Genesis, the overarching story of Genesis, it relates to in this way. Isaac has received the promises. Whatever was once Abraham's did not die with Abraham. Isaac has received what was his father's before him. Even the gentiles recognize it. They send him away because he's getting too powerful, and what do they say? They eventually realize, we got to get on board with this guy. Because he's clearly being blessed. They say, it's plain to everyone that you are blessed. So they go to him and they say, what? You are the blessed of the Lord. He's taken taken his father's spot. The promises are his. The way forward is his. But I also think there's other things to pull from this as it relates to family, as it relates to the reality of these two men, these two great patriarchs abraham and isaac this is a relatively short story and especially in light of all of genesis it's not much content but we see that isaac's life mirrors his father's that's the point all the accounts that we see in that story are accounts we've already heard from abraham repackaged for Isaac now I don't mean repackaged in a bad way I don't mean like they just made it up that it happened but I mean it's it's like watching the same person relive their life it hits all the, these different notes of Abraham's life the blessing the calling the well story the harem story Isaac is just like his father before him Well we see a few things that are unique about Isaac. One, his father Abraham is is the man of hospitality. I mean that's the definitive character of Abraham. He is the man of generosity. He's the man who is always hospitable, always welcoming, always caring for people's uh, very pragmatic needs, preparing them well and uh, well and well above and beyond what they even you know what what would be required of him? he's that man. What's unique about Isaac is that Isaac is the man of peace. every situation he's put into he chooses peace, even when we saw the story of the akedah the binding, we saw that he was kind of passive in that story he He went along with what his father was doing and here the same is true this this same man, Isaac, is, gets into quarrels over these wells. And what does he do? He lets the Philistines have them each time. Until finally he gets to the well that no one quarrels with him and, and that's his. And with Abimelech, when Abimelech comes and says, you're too powerful for us, leave us alone. Does he go, no, this is my place now. And you already said I'm more powerful than you. I could just beat you over the head with it. No. He he moves. He leaves. He moves on from them. He is a man defined by peace. And even that language comes up in the story, right? He departed from them in peace. He sent them away in peace. That language of peace abounds in this story about who Isaac is. That's unique to him. There's a uniqueness to Isaac's story about who he is as a man compared to his father, even while they walk the steps of the same stories repeated in each of their lives. So what does that mean to us? Well, I thought about it in terms of our own families. And the truth is, uh, not everyone is as lucky as I am. To have parents that are models to, to walk after. People that you want to model your life after. Oddly enough, when we think about the vices and, and the sins of people, they tend to be familial sins. <laughs> you find that the same patterns of of evil and sinfulness run in families. I'm not talking even like a generational curse or anything like that 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 sometimes people load with a lot of non-biblical meaning. I'm talking about just the fact of experience acclimates people to have the same sinful patterns as their family. If you've ever looked at a family, if you ever had some perception of like, many members of a family you can see that some of their vices run in the same way what's interesting here is that these stories are meant to show that the opposite side of the coin is true too Isaac is a man blessed like his father before him and the good of Abraham has been passed on to his son And his son, the man of peace, carries on the good that was found in Abraham. And Abraham, his father, is never far from him. Even the Lord is constantly mentioning his servant Abraham to remind Isaac about his father and the type of man he was. So, why is this story set here? Why is it? Why did we hear the Jacob and Esau piece before we got to this? I think, in part, the reason is the definitive element of the Jacob Esau story that was embodied in the prophecy was what? That they were at war. The man of peace's children are the warring twins. This war that erupts in Isaac's family destroys the type of person he is. When we get to Jacob and Esau, we're supposed to look at Abraham and Isaac's life and think, what happened to this family? What has transpired that this became the way in which they operate? When we get next week to chapter 27 and we read the blessing, the stealing of the blessing, we should be appalled at that event. Look at the deceit and the destruction and just the absolute lack of honor towards Isaac as a father that is thrown around in that story. That story is the story of a family. And Rebecca. she's feeding Jacob what to do. I mean, it's the story of a story. It's the story of a family at war with itself. With everyone picking a side. I mean, the implication looks like Isaac's on his deathbed. He's blind. He can't get out of bed. And they're tricking him. This old, decrepit man who is taking care of them and and... Been peaceful to their family. We see all the twists and turns of family and what it's like in Genesis. But what this specific story and and its connections to Abraham's life tell me is this we've got to find the right models. We all are not going to have Abraham as our daddy. And, and I'm not saying there aren't... I'm just going to say this out... like, This is just what it is. I'm just going to say it bluntly. I'm not saying there are, there are, that there are not mother wounds. There are. But the reality is the most common wound, the most deep wound, the wound that consumes the world is father wounds. It just is. Father wounds... And probably to some extent because fathers tend to do it so much more than mothers. This piece about Abraham as the good father and Isaac as receiving the goodness from his father, I mean, that's the heart cry of people. Because dads are so broken most of the time. Isaac absorbed this goodness. He became like his father. And all too often we can look at our own lives and see that we're following the same sinful trajectory of our own parents. I mean, it's almost a a joke at this point for someone to say, I'm never going to be like my parents. You always know when someone said that they're exactly like them. Right? Right? I mean, that's like a joke that you use in movies. Like, I'm, like it, it'll be the entire point of the movie. How the person becomes what they hate. We see that over and over and over again. I'm never going to fall into that trap. I'm never going to be like that. But alcoholics, they breed alcoholics. And abuse breeds abuse. And we see that again and again and again. But you don't have to follow the pattern. You've got to change the model. Like I said, for those who aren't lucky enough to have the models like I did, you can choose a new model. Choose someone to model your life after who's not mom or dad or whoever it is that has broken you or hurt you. You you can find an Abraham. Find someone like Abraham to model your life after. You don't have to just become... The carbon copy of your parents before you. If you're lucky enough that to be in Isaac's situation, follow Abraham, follow your parents. But if you're not, they'll always be your parents. There's no denying that. You can't escape that. But they don't have to be what you model your life after. Find a new Abraham. Find your own Abraham someone to model your life after, someone to become like them. And I think about Aaron singing that song tonight, leading us in that song tonight. Clearly, obviously, without fail, the example of all is God, and Jesus specifically, right? The man. The man whose life we can see and model our own after. But I will say, it's also important to have a human with you. You can see, that you can walk, walk through life with, that you can model, watch their their model of life. That's important. That's why God gave us the church. We don't do this alone. We do it in community. Amen. Amen. So we got to find those Abrahams to follow after, to model their lives after, to be shaped and molded by. Because when I see Isaac here, I see a man who, who became just like his father. And as broken and as dark and as sad as what is about to happen is with Jacob and Esau, and literally the wreckage of that family, the wreckage of Jacob and Esau, is what defines the rest of Genesis. From this moment, right now in chapter 27, we'll read about next week, all the way to Genesis chapter 50, the very end of the book, the wreckage of Isaac's family is the definitive mark of the book from here on out. It is the definition of what's happening with this family. But, but, By the grace of God, somehow, by the end of the book, Jacob does look like his dad. Warring Jacob and warring Esau, and Jacob, by the promise of God and the calling of God on him, looks like Isaac by the end. A man of character, a man of good. A man no longer at war. A man whose sons are no longer at war. I mean, what's the, de- what's, the, what's the definition of Jacob's own children? Does Jacob receive in, in spades what he put on his family? Oh yeah. That's the story of Joseph. Jacob has to experience what his father before him experienced. Except instead of two, it was twelve. It was twelve at war with each other instead of two. So if you're, you know, if you're here tonight, or if you're listening at some point in the future for the podcast, uh, and you find yourself in that situation, that reality, where you realize the models of your life are not who you want them to be, you can find new ones. If you're not fortunate enough to have what Isaac had, but I think if you find yourself in Isaac's situation, if you have that in your life, thank God for it. Cherish it. Because it's precious beyond measure to live in a family at peace. To live in a family at peace is precious. And rare. And I don't mean peace in the fake veneer you know, you're the type of family that just denies everything and avoids it. That's not peace. That's just facade. Not the type of family that just like, oh yeah, well we never address any of our problems or any of our hurts, and then, we, then it looks like we're at peace to everyone. That's not peace. That's not peace. I mean real peace. I mean the kind of peace where you can tell people your problems with them and still love each other and cry together at the end of it that kind of peace that is the rare peace that is such a blessing when we find it and it's why god himself says at the end of all things when we get to the new heavens and new earth what's it going to be characterized by it'll be characterized by peace people in perfect community says in isaiah Children are gonna reach their hands into viper nests and not be bitten. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together. What's the point of that? The world's at peace. The world's at peace. No longer, no longer will we seek to destroy one another. Nature itself will have healed. And be at peace. Why? Because God did away with evil now all who dwell in the land dwell in peace so if you have it thank God for it cherish it praise him for what he's offered to you in your family and if you don't have it find some models who can help you learn to be like that but also also be like Isaac You've got to start it yourself. Be the man of peace. Be the woman of peace. Start what your family needs. Start what your workplace needs. Start the things that are between you and your enemies, and you can call peace down on them. Do it. Be like Isaac. The Lord will bless you for it. And you may not even see it in your lifetime. I'm not going to be so... Uh, triumphalistic to say that you're going to get to see the benefit in your life. That doesn't happen sometimes. We don't all get the experience like this where then all of a sudden you see the hundredfold crop or whatever. But God will bless you for it. I know that whether you see it or not, He blesses you for being people of peace. That's what the church is called for. That's what the church is called to. A community of Shalom. All right. Turn it over to Tyler.